0: Again, the URL is unchangedcrypto.substack.com. Um,
1: hey everybody, welcome to The Shopping Block. Uh, every four weeks, the few of us get together and give the industry insider's perspectives on the crypto topics of the day. So, um, quick intros. First off, we have Tom, DeFi Maven, and Master of Memes. Next we have Tarun, the Giga Brain, and Grand Poobah at Gauntlet. Then we have Laura, she is the CEO of the show. Is it how she asked me to intro her.
0: Oh, please! You just called me that, and you said I'm looking. For
1: I a asked copy. you how you wanted to be intro, and you said the CEO of the show. Oh, so I said that fine. Is not
0: this much. Okay. You actually, just called me that, and before you said you were looking for a way to intro me, and I said just call me that then.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So she is she is the CEO of the show, and she is a chief journalist and on um, the chopping block. And then we have myself, Haseeb, head hype man at Dragonfly. So all four of us, uh, or sorry, I should say three of us are early stage investors in crypto, but I want to caveat that nothing we say here is investment advice, life advice, or legal advice for that matter. So uh, this is our first show that we're doing in person. It's honestly kind of weird mm-hmm. because every show in the past that we've done up till now has been over Zoom. And now all of a sudden we're sitting here in this like hot studio in Manhattan. And uh, it's like, it's suddenly um, breaking the fourth wall a little bit compared to how we usually do things. Yeah,
0: and it's also weird because it's, like, so close. We're, like, still kind of in COVID, but, like, everybody's super sick of COVID and...
1: Yeah, they just lifted the mask mandates. You know, so now you don't have to wear a mask in Uber. You don't have to wear a mask in a plane. Uh, Nobody in the subway is wearing masks. So it's very, very different environment. I just came from Singapore, which is the exact opposite, where people are still extremely... Technically, the mask mandate in Singapore is lifted, but almost everyone there is still wearing masks, even outside, Oh my god! Which is hmm. bizarre because it's extremely hot in Singapore. It's like you guys are Probably
0: not going to catch COVID outside. I'm just going to tell you that.
1: I know, I know, I know. It's 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 just. I think it's a, it's a cultural thing. If you go in Singapore and you're walking around outside, the only people you see not wearing masks are the white people.
2: Oh, all of the locals. Not, not, not crypto libertarian. The
1: there black aren't black that man? many. There aren't come that on, many. And and on. well, the, most of the crypto people in Singapore are Asian, and so they they like bring the Asian energy of like, okay, follow the rules. Like, you know, at least, at least within your normal day-to-day life and your alter ego, you know, you, you break all the rules and then you, you know, run an unlicensed exchange or whatever. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. How has been the book tour?
0: Oh my God. Amazing. Yeah. You know, like I've been putting out these shows every week, twice a week and doing it for years. And, you know, I don't get a lot of feedback. And so like doing these book events has been like, just so lovely. Like people come up to me and they're like, oh, I work in crypto because of you. Or like someone came up and was like, I'm your number one fan. And then later his friend also saw me and his friend was like, he puts you up there with Vitalik. And I was like, oh my gosh. Wow. Wow. Um, I had like a group of four college friends. They all listen to me. I've had like whole families. The whole family listens to me you know, there was like a person that he was like, oh, I got my wife into your show and now she works with blockchain technology. Like, like she like added it to like what she was doing with government. And like, I don't just, there have been so many stories like that. Mm. I mean, there was somebody, she read my book so closely that she was asking these like very detailed questions about the book. And I was like, whoa, like you like studied this thing, you know? So the whole thing, honestly, it's just been amazing. Like I sold out the first event in New York, which like they were turning people away. I didn't expect that. I have a ton of fans in Utah. Big surprise to me. Wow.
1: You're yeah, like I, a crypto rock star now. Yeah.
0: Like yeah, there's been so many like just delightful things. So, yeah, to everybody who came, thank you. Because it's just been like, yeah, so lovely, pretty much. And yeah, really, really unexpected.
3: Hmm. How do you feel about the reviews? How do you feel about the reception overall on the book? Really good. Yeah?
0: I feel good. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like I worked on this for years and Honestly, I'm just grateful that people are even reading it. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> people, you know, there's there's a lot of content out there now. Like a lot of things compete for people's attention. And like the fact that people, I'm like taking the time to read my 400 page book, you know, all of its footnotes. By the way, if you're a crypto OG, you can totally geek out in the footnotes. They're very fun. Lots of blockchain transactions and like mm. Wayback Machine and things and social media posts, whatever. But yeah, like... The fact that they're doing that and like, you know, sometimes they're like screenshotting things that they're just like mm. like interested or surprised by. And yeah, I don't know, like a lot of people have been buying like bulk orders as well, like, you know, for their whole company or their whole DAO. Oh, or like wow. Yeah. So I've been doing like a bunch of kind of um events for companies where like if you buy a certain number, then um, you know, I'll do a virtual event for you or, or even something in person and So there's been a lot of that, like, and yeah, like there, like yeah, there was one last week where actually what happened was it was just a conference. I gave a speech, and then Mm. uh, one of the companies had bought the book to give away, and so there was like this signing line, and the signing line was huge, and like I had to stay for two hours signing all these books. I like couldn't even finish because. I had this other appointment I did not imagine it was going to take that long and people wanted selfies with me and like it was interesting because not like most of the events everybody already knows me it's already Mm. like a fan of my show or whatever but here a lot of people didn't know me already but just from the one talk I gave they like loved that talk so they were like already fans from that they were like we loved your speech and like sometimes yeah anyway I could go on and on and on but like the whole thing has just been like a dream and just so lovely and Mm. yeah so I'm like basically savoring every moment of it <laughs> because I'm going to have to get back to work because I have like a lot of other projects yeah, coming. And so it's yeah. just like, I'm going to enjoy this time because like pretty soon I'm going to be hitting the ground running again.
1: Because I know you and you're a grinder, right? Like you just, you're a workhorse. Like you've been yes. putting out content consistently for years. And I know you've been grinding on this book for a long time. Yes. And so, you know, I, I I I know that feeling of like, you're you're just working, you're putting out stuff, you're being consistent. And then eventually you come up for air and you realize like, oh, wow, all this stuff, like someone was actually consuming it all that time yes. and they really like me now. And yes. like that doesn't, it, it's, it's often hard for that to land, especially in the era of like post-COVID mm. and, you know, living in crypto, which is all online all the time. And it's like, it's very, there's so many elements of it that feel impersonal uh, yes. until you finally make contact, you show up at an event and people are like, you changed my life. And now I have yes. a, you know, I've, I went into the industry because of you and it's like, holy crap.
0: Yes. I've had so many people say that to me over the years. Like, it's really surprising. I remember when it started happening, like back in, like I, th- I guess it was 2017 mm. um, and just being like, oh, weird. But now it's like having so much. I'm like, oh, it's kind of crazy. I'm just, yeah, putting stuff out there and like it yeah. gets people interested and then they want to work in it and it's cool, you know. It's super cool. Yeah.
1: Well, we are super proud of you Thanks. and seeing all of the incredible reception that your book has gotten has been just awesome to see. And I'm glad that you're savoring it because I know it's hard sometimes to actually really feel Mm -hmm. the, um, the success that you've had. And so it's, it's awesome to go in person and feel that.
0: Yeah, no, I know. I definitely did not expect like even a fraction of what it's been, frankly. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I am, I'm very grateful for all of it. And honestly, I think the other thing I'm really glad about is, you know, we were a little bit nervous about the DAO attacker reveal, so the right. fact that that went so well, and like nobody, because you know i I Forbes was not the first place I pitched it. I pitched it to multiple outlets. And some of the other outlets were like, "Oh, what if this is like when Newsweek tried to reveal who Satoshi Nakamoto was?" And I was like, you know because it's like a weird thing when you pitch it, I couldn't reveal who it was because mm. then if they wanted to, they could steal that and then, like, you know, front run me essentially, because there's a long lead time between when I had the information when the book was going to come out. And so like some places just backed off and they were like, you know, what if you're wrong mm. and I was like, mm, but like, cause I couldn't reveal all the evidence, mm. but I, I just knew like, there's a difference between the kind of evidence I have and like what's previously been done around Satoshi. But anyway, so, you know, my Forbes editors, they know me and whatever. And like, we have a very good working relationship and, you know, frankly, we just love working together. So it all worked out super well, but like. You know, it was definitely kind of like a dicey thing. And so the Mm. fact that that reveal went well and like people are accepting kind of like, I've literally not seen a single person been like, you were wrong. So, yeah, Mm. it's definitely, you know, let's just put it this way. Journalists, when they're revealing that kind of thing in the crypto community, they don't generally get that reception. So I'm very, very glad that it worked out Mm. well
3: like the uh convex bug disclosure from uh, from last week you know and really the solution there is to have them add you as an editor to these these publications and then you can reveal it yourself so they can't <laughs> run you. i think that's the solution
2: or, or we have zero knowledge proof reveals oh, yeah for yeah that would be great stuff that's like that's really more the like 10-year version of this. a reveal yeah. i agree
1: that's- well so speaking of big reveals actually one of the um, interesting stories of the week that kind of goes into. This will be the next chapter of the addendum to the next version of the book. So last week or two weeks ago, last episode, we talked a lot about the Axie Infinity hack and we talked a lot of shit about, um, you know, the, the, I should say I talked a lot of shit. I don't want to put on you guys about the irresponsibility of um, the the, uh, Sky Mavis team for their OPSEC and allowing this hack to take place. So in the last week, we've learned something about who the attacker was and we learned it actually in a very indirect way. So what happened was, so the uh, the OFAC list, which is a, a list of basically sanctioned entities or in the case of crypto addresses that you're not allowed to uh, send money to, otherwise you're in violation of sanctions. They added to this list for a group called the Lazarus Group, which is associated with North Korea. Uh, so it's a hacking group that uh, basically is, I guess, a part of the North Korean government um, or associated with the North Korean state. And uh, they're very notorious. They've engaged in a lot of different attacks. And one of the addresses that was added to the sanctions for the Lazarus Group was the one that was also used in the Ax Infinity hack, which implies that it was North Korea that attacked X Infinity, which is kind of wild. Yeah. Because if you look at the you know the previous instances, I mean, we're looking at the 10T or was 10X the 10X uh, guy, most of the previous hacks that we've seen in crypto have been crypto insiders or like you know. In my mind, I always imagine that it's like. Some Eastern European teenager living in their basement, who just like, you know, just just reads, you know, random transactions on EtherScan all day. Mm-hmm. But it turns out that like, okay, North Korea is getting in the game yeah, because no, of the amount actually, of money. I don't stage.
0: know if you know, like, pretty much all those South Korean exchange hacks, they were all like Lazarus, right? Yeah, because mm-hmm. I actually did an episode. I forget what year that was. Was it 2018 or something? But I had two North Korean experts that talked about. Like why North Korea is interested in crypto and stuff. So it's actually been going on for a while. But before it was like I said, centralized exchanges in Korea, South Korea.
2: It's scary. I mean, I, I mean, do you remember that um, around the time the uh, Virgil Griffith thing first happened, there were these rumors that like the big LPs on Uniswap were were like Lazarus Group. I don't know. Uh, this. Th- this was like a, a very popular conspiracy theory. to so like, who was minting <laughs> most of the early die? wow and um, wait did
0: so did was that ever confirmed or was no
2: no, no 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 it was like they, there were some addresses that happened to be depositing into some of the south korean exchanges around the time of the hacks but there that was like it's very like circumstantial like it wasn't it, it was it was a little bit too much of a just so story but the, the the north what i meant by that is like saying north koreans aren't crypto insiders might be the wrong uh, i feel like they actually have been around <laughs> They've definitely,
1: they've definitely been around. They've definitely been around. But I think the, um, to me, it's it's a good reminder. So one, it means that, at least for me, I, I, it makes me more inclined to back off a little bit from how, how much I was blaming, you know, Sky Mavis. Although I mean, clearly they messed up in a pretty significant way, but um, it's pretty hard to defend against nation state level attackers. And obviously, the Lazarus Group is really, really good at what they do, and it just kind of means that. Everything in crypto now is under the same level of bombardment and attack as the most valuable kind of, you know, uh, state level targets as well. Um, and so it's scary. It's, it's a good thing to keep in mind that yeah. there's the, the the standard of security that you need to have in order to withstand all the pressure that DeFi protocols and, and on-chain applications have today is orders of magnitude what it was just two or three years ago.
0: Yeah, but I don't, I, well, I mean, not to, I'm not like passing judgment on this guy Mavis team, but... I don't know if I'd if I'd back up on your judgment, frankly. <laughs> I guess because the way that the security setup was, like, it's it wasn't you know truly decentralized.
1: It wasn't. It, it wasn't. But you know, to to um, Robert made the point in in our last episode that like, look, these were probably not all like. Yeah. It, these were probably all different servers that the attacker was able to move laterally through within their network. And then they were also able to find another bug and sort of daisy chain this attack with this other thing that had this super... Like, it was actually a pretty complicated attack. And I would assume that Rob was probably right that not all these, uh, you know, not all these addresses... Or sorry, not all these uh, private keys existed on a single machine. And so they probably infiltrated the entire network. Well,
2: a lot of it was phishing, right? Uh, that, well, they uh, got in initially through phishing. Yeah, but we we don't really know exactly what. By that. the way, I think I think probably everyone who is in crypto has received one of those. La- I I probably yeah. get like five a week of these. Like, yeah. hey, like Chris at a16z.com shared. Uh, docs uh, Google uh, so, Doc with you, but then something you like about stable
1: coins.
3: Yeah, yeah. or like I get, we get that like twice a month. Is yeah. this like yeah. phishing attack related to stable coins? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah I get them too. The
3: solution it's... is just archive all your email every day. You just get out clear out the inbox and if someone wants you know, to message <laughs> you on Telegram. And that's, uh, that's the
2: solution. Yeah, the Telegram spam has been increasing, too. I, I, yeah. I'm wondering if there's going to start being more like spear phishing type things in Telegram. So be yeah. careful. Yeah.
0: yeah, but but I just wanted to say like. Like I actually feel that this particular hack was like similar more to a centralized exchange because of the setup. Mm. Like it, it wasn't like a normal DeFi hack. You know, it wasn't like an economic hack. It wasn't yeah one that kind of like uh you know exploited a vulnerability in the smart contract. It was really more like a centralized setup that they were able to exploit, similar to the way that they had done with the South Korean exchanges. So, um, so anyway, so I don't know if that necessarily means that like North Korean hackers can hack DeFi contracts the way that you were kind of implying Mm -hmm. earlier. Um, I just feel like, you know, it's, it's what I was saying before, like. It's similar to a centralized exchange, but also the security setup for a centralized exchange is like, that's like pretty standard. Like, or I don't know it's about standard, but it's been around for a long time because centralized exchange hacks have happened for like years, right? Yep. So I feel like it's easier to do security for that kind of setup than it is for like a DeFi smart contract. And that's why I feel like this guy Mavis team kind of is, you know, they they screwed up, you know, yeah. because this is something that probably like most people would know how to prevent. Whereas like one, a DeFi thing, I think it's harder to
2: prevent. One thing though is like they're kind of in this worst of both worlds scenario because the centralized exchange at least benefits a little bit from security via obscurity. Like not, everyone can't see the code for their their oh. actual internal processes and multi-sig right. and manage key management. Whereas the Sky Mavis thing was almost like Overly transparent in the sense that you could see it. Because
1: yes of- and no. I mean, the fact that four of the nine keys were held by them was actually not like that's true. If they you didn't had known maintain. that, you would have been like, "What the f- what?" But um, they they obscured that, right? Like nobody knew until the actual compromise. Like when you had to explain, "How did you guys get popped?" And the answer was that well, four we actually had
3: four of the yeah. nine keys,
1: and it's like, what? <laughs> that it's it's kind of the inverse of... It's like insecurity, which you obscured.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think, you know, to Laura's point, these are more sort of social engineering style attacks, which I think they probably have more experience with rather than exploiting, you know, super obscure, you know, bugs and, and, you know, solidity.
1: Uh, Yes, clearly it was not like a super deep, you know, there's some corner case of solidity or like some, you know, VM hack or something. But at the same time, like, it's, it's also pretty hard to defend against these at scale, Yeah. right? Like, eventually, if you're... You know, bridges are like exchanges because you have to have like a hot wallet. You have to continually be finding things and, and moving money around. And so um, it is actually really hard to secure that. Um, but, yeah. you know, look, I mean, I don't back off entirely from saying that guy may have screwed up. Like obviously having four of the nine keys controlled by a single party is absolutely ridiculous. But right. yeah, I don't know that anybody uh, is is able to fully resist. I mean, we we just saw a recent hack of, what was it, Okta that uh, recently got hacked? And oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Story uh which is like an authentication company that
2: you know it's you 20%. could basically think of them as like multi-sigs for normies <laughs> like that's what octa's business is right okay. it's like effectively multi-cigs multi for normies i mean it it's they, they just like do the. i don't the know op- why they don't put
0: that that seems like that would be a big business
2: it is. I mean, business they are, business, they're a huge like a company. $30 yeah. billion dollar company, yeah, like okay. company. Yeah, they're big. Okay. Yeah. But like yeah. It, in a world where crypto actually succeeds, basically like multi-sig should basically replace Okta. Like there shouldn't actually, you shouldn't, Okta as a company might be gone or like they'll just be a front end to a bunch of multi sigs uh that i'm saying like in the like i'm trying to like give you like the paint you the like idealistic future i'm not saying it's like likely we we oh god
0: no but actually it's interesting that you mentioned that because when i was in miami somebody actually told me about their idea about this and it was actually really really interesting but then i don't know then i kind of was poking some holes at it but anyway the point is i think a lot of people are noodling on this
2: For sure, for sure. I I mean, Gnosis obviously has the advantage, but I think on, especially on Solana, there's a lot of teams that are trying to like effectively do like treasury multi-sig type of stuff um, that will be kind of, are are out and out soon. So I, I think people want to really do it. I just don't, it's like hard for me to imagine like Fortune 500 buying this, whereas like Okta literally has like every Fortune 500 company using them. Yeah. So that that's that's like sort of the difference.
1: As a, as a frame of reference, they're a Coinbase-sized company. Okay, so that's okay. that's <laughs> and, and like every
2: every big company uses them. So they are a single yeah. point of failure, though. Yeah, because I think of like that. I've yeah. used
0: them at when I used to work at CBS. So
2: I'm sure you have. Yeah.
1: I'm sure you have. A lot of places in the internet use Optin. You don't even know.
0: Okay.
2: So. Do you mind if we uh, detour for a tiny second yeah. about the one other technical hack identified this week, which was actually quite scary, which is like. For a certain particular zero-knowledge-proof uh, implementation, mm. almost all the implementations had this sort of one crucial piece implemented incorrectly. And uh, there was this, like, 20-minute period where I was, like, trying to look through the Monero code to see if, like, the Monero code did it the same way because, obviously, live network, a lot of money versus, like, most of the other ones are, like, layer twos or in and not totally live. Mm. But effectively, like a very high level description of what this attack is can, is what
0: well, can you name the project
2: oh so so trail of bits basically showed that plonk yeah. which is this zero knowledge proof algorithm the paper for it actually had a bug in like what they wrote in the algorithm like in the in the math and but then everyone implementing it was just like basically implementing the paper directly yeah so they like basically copied it line by line and it turned out the piece that they used, they copied incorrectly from like the bulletproof implementation, which is in like partially in Monero and, o- and other places. Oh. So Plonk is implemented in a bunch of places like Aztec, Aztec. loop. I think maybe yeah. Loopring, um, not Starkware cause Starkware is at, yeah, completely different. And then a bunch of the snark implementations on different layer ones. Yeah, so like on what polygon. the one Tezos is using. Yeah. The one, the one, the polygon ones. Yeah. So. Just to give a high level understanding of like what what this bug is, it's, it's like kind of a little bit. It's not super complicated when you describe it in terms of like a sort of we'll high that, level description true. of a zero knowledge proof. <laughs> All right. So the You're highest on the spot now. Go highest level description of zero knowledge proof. I own some proper some object, and you want to know if I have it. So what you do is you ask me a series of no, yes and no questions. You say, "Hey, is it golden?" And I say yes or no. You say, "Hey, is it spherical?" and I say yes or no. And then you say, Hey, is it bigger than this room? You say yes or no. And so after a sequence of those questions, you can be convinced I have it without actually knowing enough about the object. That's like the very like five-year-old X, I think that's five-year-old understandable explanation of zero knowledge proof. Sure. And one, the problem with that is it's very interactive. So you have to communicate a lot. Like I have to keep asking you these questions. I have to wait until you get a response. And so there's this thing called the Fiat uh, Shamir heuristic, which is basically instead of me giving you uh, this back and forth, which is har- hard to manipulate, but very slow, I actually give you a sequence of questions all at once, but they're randomized and you have to prove that you, you, or uh, answer them in a random order. And so I give you some random number and then you give me back the answer in like the correct random order. And that's like, as if that'd be kind of the same as if I asked you those questions randomly. The problem is if you don't see the randomness to that correctly, it becomes like this deterministic list, and you get the same exact ordering every time. And that was basically at a very high level what the bug is. Hmm. Uh, So then people then can like memorize the answer and then always answer the same question back. Effectively, that Um, was that was that was that was was great. Nine out
1: of ten. Suddenly, I understand zero knowledge (laughs) proofs. It just it all clicked for me right there
2: but 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 that, the idea with that is like you only have to send all the questions at once right? right it's like i sent you the test i don't don't i'm not doing it like you know interactively
1: yeah 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 so i think the the, the takeaway from this was that actually as you mentioned it was a mistake in, in these papers that we all kind of copying each other and nobody actually understood the particular mistake in the fiat shamir part of the paper and so they were kind of like okay well you proved this part you proved this part you added this thing onto the end of it but like somewhere up the chain, somebody should have understood. They're like, hey, you have to, you have to be very, very careful in how you use the fiat shamir heuristic. And um, that sort of got lost in translation. And then the, the engineers were actually implementing this stuff. You know, they're not cryptographers for the most part. They're like security engineers or cryptographic engineers, but they're not themselves the people who are deriving this stuff in the first place. And so it, it's a good reminder that although you know, we talk about this a lot with the to layer 2, is how layer two eventually is going to replace everything because it's so secure. It's got the same trust model as layer one. That's only true if the engineering is like completely sound. Mm. And everything we know about engineering tells us that there is no engineering that is completely sound. There will always be bugs. There will always be mistakes. And um, you know, you see it in, even in the history of like Zcash, which has had a history of these kinds of cryptographic errors that were not even the original paper. Actually, the paper was sound, but somebody messed up somewhere down the road. There's like some basically the equivalent of like a transcription error. That just gets amplified down the road. And then pretty soon it's like, hey, although the paper was right, because the paper can be proved in this closed form way, the stuff that we're doing that like kind of works around the paper to make it implementable ends up having a bug in it.
3: Yeah. It is it is funny. I feel like um when I first got into crypto, people were obsessed with like consensus level attacks, like if fifty one percent attacks. And like that was always a discussion of like, wow, is someone gonna prevent a fifty one percent attack on this network and like we basically never see 51 percent attacks, like only on kind of like the tiniest, shittiest network. And if anything, it's all these other types of attacks that have really proliferated, which again is not really solved with like you know, a layer two necessarily. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, one one thing I'd say is, is um, you know, my my co-author Guillermo always likes to say, like the only real proof is actually being implemented and like running in live. And like, oh. and one of the other things about you know my personal pre- distaste, I think, for a lot of the zero knowledge proof papers is they're written in this this like the the proofs and the algorithms are written in this way where it's like here is a model of the adversary and here's a model of like the user and like here's an algorithm of like how they interact with each other but the way you analyze how they interact with each other is kind of like piecemeal you kind of like are like this little way of like me sending you a challenge uh gives you you report with like this type of reply and when you when you prove things like that instead of like trying to prove like broader properties a your proofs are all very case based so you have like 500 cases and like it's very it's, re- it's very hard to actually check every single one like as a reader like as a reader when you're reading a math paper you should be like reading it and when you get stuck like you go try to rederive something and like n- verify the the things but the problem with these proofs have a million sub cases is like no one's going to verify the 128 sub cases right you try to like spot check and like that's effectively For better or worse, that's what peer review does, too, for these papers. uh, Wait,
0: and so just so I understand what that is, that means, like, when you're creating it, people don't go through and test all the things that have already been written about how to implement it. They're just, like, testing specific, like, random, like, sort of, like, a random check at an airport.
2: So, like, when when you write, like, a a math proof, you say, like, okay, I'm assuming A, and then there's some property A implies B, and then B implies C, and then C implies D. But the problem is you can also have not linear proofs where you say, I assume property A. Property A implies properties B1, B2, B3, dot, 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 B128. And then you have to look through all those cases separately. And the reader usually, that's not considered like an elegant math proof. It's usually considered like ugly when you have a lot of cases. And like aesthetic people just don't, won't read all 128 unless they're formally verified. It's, and, it's
1: it's kind of like you know imagine that you were proofreading someone else's book and they had like five hundred citations you're like I'm I'm not gonna like if you have like one citation for like the core thing but if you have five hundred I like I'll, I'll check a few of them but like I don't know no matter how good of an editor you are unless you're like being I don't know you're working in a sweatshop you're not literally gonna check every single citation because you
0: yeah that's it. not okay. how it works in book publishing but anyway right. but. <laughs> But this actually leads me to you know because the, co- the the copy editor or proofreader or whatever they will read everything and like check everything. Um I mean, not that true? I've not that I've done this job before. I mean, well, no, actually,
2: they're much more rigorous than the mathematicians. Yeah, I mean, trust yeah. me, peer review is a very broken process. You don't have to tell me. But, yeah. but I do have a
0: question because this is something that I was wondering about in general about like the DeFi hacks and everything. So do you remember back when, this was a, a long time ago, but was it called IMBTC when they did that, like ER7? Yeah, seven, yeah. Seven, yeah. yeah. Okay. So so just to catch people up in case they didn't follow this, there was like this exploit that happened and people were like, what were they thinking? Because the exploit was known already. It had been known for like a month or something. And then mm-hmm. they implemented it in this way where everybody knew that it would be vulnerable. And so it was just like, this is such a stupid mistake. But I did have a question because now that I'm seeing all these hacks, like, so for those of you who've been on my show, you might know that I have this checklist that I do um, before I uh, record. And sometimes people are like, oh, it's like a really good list. And I'm like, oh, you're listening to a list of all the mistakes I've ever made on the show. Um, But it made me wonder like for DeFi and stuff, like, is there a place where people are kind of like, you know, collating all these different errors and where people can kind of like look up like, oh, okay, so I'm about to implement such and such. Like, What are the the known vulnerabilities? Like, if I mistakenly implement it this way or that way, like, are people doing that? Because if not, like, there
2: are these collections of them. But the problem is that, you know, there's a lot of translation error that can happen where, you know, you might write in your code base, you might write like A equals one, I equals seven, and you always use that convention. But then someone else's code, they write baby equals one and iota equals seven. And then you have to like go through and translate and you rename the functions. Like no one is like oh, wow. consistently naming things, right? There's not like a single, the, the language is the same, but like the choice of sort of like uh dialect mm-hmm. of like each programmer is actually quite different, which leads to these kind of like divergences between
3: like a specification and the real thing. It's actually very oh, hard to it. keep them like one-to-one. Okay. Um, to, to, also to Tarun's point about like, you know, like non-linear math proofs and like these weird combinatorial kind of issues when like many different factors interact with many different factors. I remember in the IMBDC thing, so IMBDC is sort of like a competitor to WBDC That's it uses ERC777, which is sort of a, you know, different version of ERC20 that adds some extra functions and stuff like that. Um, and then there was Dforce. force d was just like a pure fork of compound uh, V2, which um, mm-hmm. is a money market protocol. And so in isolation, these things are fine, right? Like a fork of compound will be hit the same as compound there's nothing inherently wrong with 777 or the limitation, but when you put these things, these two things together, well, it wasn't really built for this and that sort of introduced the bug. And so it's like, oh, right. if you're not thinking of all these different, you know, you have many, many different dimensions that these things are intersecting on and one bad intersection can sort of cause, you know, a you know, terrible cascade, so. Right. And, yeah.
2: and automatically checking these things may have more cases than the number of particles in the universe, so you're not going to be doing it.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's, and that's the thing, right? Like they, we do have static analysis tools that will automatically run over code bases. But to your point, it's like backwards looking, right? It's like the last hack is the thing that you're able to check for. And the new hack or like the sort of the generative interaction of multiple different potential bugs. Like there, there there's so many ways in which things can interact in a way you didn't predict before that if you deeply understand how all these things work and how they interconnect with each other, well, that's just being a super experienced security engineer. That's what a security engineer is for. Yeah, I have Um, another
0: idea. I think Samsung should should like Kind of put his learnings into a course, and then train people to do what he does.
1: Well, so I is that, that like a crazy diligence idea? Have like a big uh, is it consensus diligence that has like a big I repository so. of all these like security yeah, and and stuff. So there, there, there are things like that that do exist that people do learn from. And there's a there's a Ethereum security bootcamp I think called Securium. Yes. Um, they, are
2: they, they, they any good? Like one in Amsterdam.
1: I've heard they're pretty good. Oh, okay, um, but the reality is like learning to be a security engineer is just actually really hard. Because right. it's like learning to be a great editor, right? Like there, I can, you can read a book on like, here were
2: the big mistakes that previous made. I mean, a lot made. of it's just like sitting and monitoring things and finding stuff. And then like- you... you No, know, but
0: also I think you have to like think very creatively. Like Samsung must have some like good imaginative tools in his brain to like combine all that, to like see things that other people cannot see. Mm-hmm. Like he, I bet he has a very creative mind.
1: Well, the other thing that is, it's very different to be a an attacker versus a defender right? Like the, the kinds of people who are very good, it's called sort of red team. Red team is like the people who go in and try to attack protocols and break them. The kinds of people who do that are not necessarily the best security engineers, right? To be a security engineer, you also have to be thinking about how to solve application level problems and make sure that, okay, we're going to build this thing in a secure way, but we also got to make sure that it works, that it's performant, that the UX is good. And oh. you have to balance all those things together in order to build a protocol. Well, and of course, like with most of these protocols, like, I mean, we see it because we're VCs, and so we're backing a lot of these guys. You know, there, there are very few security engineers who have meaningful experience, you know, doing security on insulating.
2: A, a, a maybe more kind of trite way of putting it is like, an attacker only needs a proof of existence. They need just like one counterexample, right? But a builder and security engineer need to be for all. They need to like consider for all cases. Clearly one is like way less work than the other. Right. Um yes. and like that ends up being like the biggest problem. It's like the combinatorial search space for the builder is like just so much bigger than the attacker. The attacker just only needs like one
1: right. entry point.
2: There are
3: so many more attackers than there are attackers oh, totally, too. Totally. Yeah, like right. the 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 well, the attackers are better funded, <laughs> yeah, right? Like after
1: they like, win they're even better funded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so <laughs> I say like the way to imagine it is like if to be a security engineer in crypto is like you're a goalie like, you know, sort of soccer slash football. Or whatever. I, don't know, I don't know where your audience Keepers. is. Yeah, but you yeah. have to work 24-7,
0: 365. Yeah, but yeah.
1: everybody on the field is trying, trying to get to the ball in. It, yeah. And they all have their own balls, right? Like, right. You know, all these different balls are all kicking in and you're constantly trying to catch things. Right. And um, if one person gets the ball in, the money's yeah, gone.
2: Yes. Right. Yeah. right.
0: But you I know. did see, like... I I, can't, I think this was about Beanstalk. Some security for our auditing yes. term. was perfect, like, perfect yeah,
2: Perfect. Perfect transition. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. transition. Was that you, from are yes, you are the CEO. You
1: are clearly right. the CEO of the show. Well, She's I, telling us, hey, guys, time to move on. No, you guys well, are taking I, too I long. Forgot.
0: I was like, where did I read this? Okay. So you put it okay. in the notes.
1: Yeah. So I, let but, me give you the
0: brief debrief oh, okay, yes.
1: on, on Beanstalk. So Beanstalk got hacked this week for 180 million, which makes them the fifth largest DeFi hack in history. So it's been a pretty bad month for on chain hacks. Um, we had the number one hack with Axe Infinity and then number five with Beanstalk. So um the attack was actually pretty wild. And so I was looking into this yesterday trying to understand exactly what happened. So the attacker made off with 80 million, meaning that 180, uh, 100 million of it was just, I guess, lost or um, unclear, just paid yeah. LP fees or yeah. something. But
0: also they like donated it or something, right?
1: Yeah. No, that's not that's not <laughs> no? right. okay. So let me explain. Let me explain what happened. So um now, the thing about Beanstalk, so Beanstalk is a stablecoin. It was like getting a lot of hype on, you know, you, I remember you guys were talking about it a while back. So it's like a stablecoin protocol. And um, the governance in Beanstalk was designed to be able to protect against drive-by governance attacks. Right? And the way that it does that is Drive that every... Drive-by
2: governance attack. Now, that's the first time I've heard that, and I love that phrase. That's well, so the hilarious. idea
1: is that when you put up a governance <laughs> proposal, the governance proposal has to be live for at least 24 hours before it can be voted on. And then, if you you know uh, cross some threshold of voting, then it gets implemented. So, what the attacker did? So, they needed some lead time because this is a governance-based attack, which is crazy. We haven't seen a lot of these. So, now normally, if you just put up a governance-based attack that says, "Send me all the money," and then you take a bunch of tokens and you vote on yourself getting all the money, obviously, no one's going to vote on that. They're going to be like, "Who the hell is this guy?" and they're going to kick you out, right? So, what they did? They did two things simultaneously. So, first is they they put in two proposals. Almost exactly the same time. So first they put in this thing that was like, you know, th- their their governance proposal called BIPs, like Bitcoin, but it's for Beanstalk. So they did BIP 18. BIP 18 was send all the money to the attacker, and then they sent in BIP 19, but they changed the name of it to BIP 18 to make it seem like it was a name collision, and that's what they put up on the governance forum. And BIP 19, which was which they called BIP 18, was let's donate 250k to Ukraine. Because Ukraine's having a really tough time and like it's so great, you know, we want to support Ukraine. And so both of these governance proposals would lie for 24 hours, but no one noticed the real BIP 18, which was send all the money to the attacker. And after 24 hours passed, these things were up for a vote. And what the attacker did, so this was the the big mistake that Beanstalk had in their governance, is that they did not uh, make it resistant to flash loans. So somebody who flash loaned the the token was able to vote in governance and use that to cross the threshold to implement a protocol change. So the the attacker was able to flash loan a huge amount of the governance token, instantaneously vote on the proposal, right pass before, it, right receive be- the right money. before
2: it ended. Right before the vote
1: ended. Oh wait, do they do they have the 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 borrow live?
2: No, no, no! I think they they put the proposal up, and then the flash loan was later, right?
1: Oh, right I see, I see. Yeah, they, owned, they, they yeah. took the flash loan and then voted. The flash
2: loan was like right before it
1: ended. So I see, right like before WP. the right before the, the period ended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they so they flash loaned a a crapload of tokens, voted for their proposal right before the proposal window was about to end, which passed the proposal, which transferred all the funds into the attacker's wallet, and they made off like like thieves and and you yeah. know dumped all the tokens and put it washed it into tornado. Hey, and U- the,
2: the Ukraine wallet still got the. T- <laughs> also also the the there, there was some very clever low-level bit twiddling to make it make the payment to themselves not look like the payment to themselves they oh, like really? routed it to another function call so like if you oh. wanted to inspect it you would actually like have to like go through a few layers before you realize was a transfer call it was like they were like making it look like it was doing like some very kind of complicated like
1: what, what, updating. what, what did print. it look like it was doing
2: like, like, it looked like it was, like, doing some function to compute, like, what the new interest rate should be or something. And it was, like, oh. named like that. And then, like, at the bottom, like, th- this person was actually quite it's very yeah, quite, quite clever.
1: It was I, I, a very sophisticated attack. I and... mean, the
2: thing I personally enjoyed about it was I had a, there were, like, all these people who were just, like, oh, yeah, like, I made, like, $5 million in B. And I'm, like, I, I can't read their paper without, like, even being <laughs> able to, like, analyze it. Like, forget about their code. Like, their code reads, like, nonsense. Because, like, they just name everything, like, after a farm animal. And, like, as I'm reading the code, it's, like, pig dot, pig dot herd. <laughs> it,
3: it, it, it's
1: very it's, reminiscent I almost, of Maker. I, I almost like yeah. Maker better.
2: Yeah. yeah. Because the, the problem is the Maker words, very few of them were English words or, like. Right, right, right. right so for of-
1: for people who don't know, so may, this is a very famous thing that everybody in the smart contract world picks on Maker for. So MakerDAO has all these weird words that they invented for concepts inside of their smart contracts that nobody other than the Maker team understands. So there's things, there's like, there's Taps, vats and there's tub, jars and there's yeah. tubs and Tip. there's...
3: Yeah, but you know... Flap, flip, flop. Is, yeah. They are options. real words, but... You know, yes, they are real words. The, the reasoning behind it though is it forces engineers to build to spec, right? When you have mm. common English variable names, it's like, oh, well, this is the interest rate and this is whatever. And you sort of create... You know, shortcuts in your mind of, oh, that's what this variable means. that was right. this fu- That's what this function means, as opposed to, you know, we're going to sort of create this abstract, you know, spec for what the function, what the uh, protocol is going to do. And you build it this way. And then we check to make sure it was built this way versus like, you know, humans sort of playing tricks on themselves.
1: I understand the logic, but it's still, it makes it, is it very annoying, in- yes. incredibly impenetrable honestly, because of the on, fact honestly, that Honestly, I,
2: I, I actually think their designs way better than this. The bean thing was like, I
3: was like, I remember looking at yeah. it, like, you know what? I'm
2: not going to analyze this. It, it like, is like a, it's that. like a
3: seniorage shares coin but with like two extra coins so there's like multiple levels of like expansion and contract it's very weird but yeah um someone actually made like a translated version of the makerdao code base at some point that actually had like the real yes. variable names in yes. mm-hmm. uh Van de San. yeah 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 he made sure. it
2: um, I see, I see. but 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 i will say i just like enjoy the shot before it mainly because like the 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 only other tarun and twitter who is a uh, in crypto twitter was the biggest bean shill and like now he hasn't <laughs> tweeted for three days and i'm like yes
1: <laughs> you need to tag him we need to tag him on this episode
2: um wow uh, there... it hit, his name is rune on 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 twitter oh oh oh,
1: that oh, rune. oh.
2: yes that rune he was that really rune shilling being... on crypto twitter well i feel like crypto twitter people it. always okay. yeah i him
1: i see the biggest Haseeb, uh, actually, this is a related story. So the biggest Haseeb is the CEO of Ifani, which is like a phone porting. Oh, yeah, you I know you, him. You know him, yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I remember I met him in a cafe a long time ago because he was like, you're the other Haseeb. I need to meet you. And I'm like, okay, I don't have the same need, but it sounds like you really want, to, like, this is very important to you. And so we 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 met up and he was, um, he was working on Lendroid at that time, which was like mm-hmm. a big ICO at that time. And um, he was like, I have the Twitter screen name, Hasib. And I'm like, I know, <laughs> I know you do. He was like, he's like, yeah, it's really important to me. And I was like, I can tell. And he's like, but I don't have Hasib.com. It's like some doctor in the UK and I'm trying to get him to sell it to me. Can you help me? And I'm like, no. Why would you help him? I don't know, I don't know. I'm like, no, I don't, I feel no affiliation despite the real same right name. There. I know, oh. I know. But he's, he's definitely, um, he's crushing me right now. So I gotta, I gotta play catch up Wait, on he's the, crushing the you? game. How so? I, he's, I mean, look, he's got to see, he's got see the Twitter handle. I'm, uh-uh. I'm, playing from behind.
0: Well, I think you have more followers.
1: I, I, I don't think that's actually, I don't think that's true. I think he has, <laughs> I think he has more followers than me. Oh, so okay. yeah, exactly. I'm eclipsed yeah, yeah. in every way by the other receive. It hurts.
2: This uh, this other of... rune has been on a, a very fast growth path I through, I because mean? of the word cell. Uh, that's
1: true. Right. Yes, and that's right. That's we right. He's the inventor of, of
2: the word uh, cell yes. shape or thing. I, I think
0: that's so stupid.
2: I but, you think it's so stupid? I, I, it, I do. Okay, let's it's, talk about people this. love false dichotomies. Humans are well, just like easily bandied into just believing. It's not
1: a false dichotomy. It as... It's a it's a it's two axes.
2: Yeah, a boolean predicate whose probability of success is one half plus epsilon, where epsilon is ten to minus eightieth, is not very useful.
0: Okay, I didn't understand yeah, that, well, but whatever. I, I, just, I don't like simplistic things like that, yeah. dumbed down things like that. And I also don't like it that it like somehow like immediately portrayed journalists as like in some negative way. And I was just like, oh, this is like part of the whole whatever Silicon Valley like bashing of journalists. And I was like, oh, this is stupid.
1: Okay, let's. Let, so you're in a very interesting position because you're like. You're, you, 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 obviously have been a journalist, but then you're covering crypto Twitter and you're I am also, a,
0: well, I've been, a, I am a journalist. Okay. You
1: are a journalist. You are a Damn, journalist. You are a cold. journalist. Well, I mean, I think what you do now is like much more than just journalism.
0: Oh, really? How so?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's like, you're, I mean, you, 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 you're more like a commentator, you know, like you've, you've no, kind I'm of taken not. on a broader role. I think you have.
0: Well, I mean, I get interviewed by the press, but like, yeah, I mean, I still consider myself a reporter.
1: Fair enough. Okay. Okay. Well, you, author, you, you, you consider yourself a reporter. I, like I don't think of bit. you as a reporter. I don't think of you as a reporter, but oh, okay. um, I, I think, I think most people think of you as just like, you know, you, because you're not affiliated with the brand. I feel like it's very rare for reporters to not have their own. Like, I feel like, you know, all these guys yeah, are going you're, you're kind of like
3: crypto Louis Thoreau, you know, you're documenting all the weird shit that happens in crypto, but you're amongst us. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly. You're one of the people. You're not like a, you're not like a, like I'm, I'm from Forbes. Like, Hello. Like tell me all your secrets and then I'll write about you.
0: Yeah. But
1: Hunter S. Thompson. Hunter S. Thompson. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it's like you're you're yeah, it's 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 a different it's a different relationship. It's a different relationship with what you're covering than than I think for for almost any reporter.
0: Well, I mean, I feel like my understanding of crypto is probably beyond that of a normal reporter, but like the way I conducted my work, I still think of as journalism. And Mm. I'm not doing any differently from how I did it at Forbes, except that like yeah, I'd probably go deeper into it than you would for the Forbes audience, but people often do think of me as being in crypto. I do not think of myself as being in crypto. I think that I'm really? like as close to being in crypto as you can be without actually being in it.
1: What does it mean to not be in crypto?
0: Well, because I'm a journalist covering it. So there's like, you know, I'm I, like, if you guys are all like the players playing the game, I'm the referee where I'm like kind of in the game, but not in the game. Like I'm not supposed mm. to affect play. I'm not, you know.
2: But you did. You said people can, were convinced by you to like join and you know change their life.
0: Oh well, yeah. I mean, yeah, but...
2: you're playing the game. I mean, you might you might think you're not playing the game, but you're part of the game. You're a referee wearing a. a yeah, you're
1: like you're like in, you're like in the WWE shirt. when the referee like tears his shirt off and like starts beating <laughs> the people in the ring. Like you're you're in the game.
0: I don't think of myself that way. Okay. I mean like like do you think that I'm like influencing events in crypto? Oh, I don't 100%. think so. 100%. I mean
2: the oh, Dow hacker so? thing down. Yeah, like what? Yeah, okay, just okay, you just
1: That's
0: like a nor- the game. That's a normal journalistic thing to do. Like you you know, find out like who did this thing. That's yeah, what, I, like, mean,
1: I mean, the people on crypto Twitter who are
2: like calling each other out and getting into I, fights. I, like, would, I would say journalists in thing. crypto have not had as much success at doing it, right? Like the Satoshi thing is a great example. of Yeah. Right? <laughs> so so I, I don't know, like if you're successful at it, I think it somehow does impact the market.
0: Oh, interesting. But I don't think revealing who the DAO hacker was affected the market at all.
2: Well, not, not in, in the sense that like it impacted prices immediately, but it impacted how people's perception of certain projects what was right and certain people at different times and
0: maybe impacts yeah. like
3: their future i think maybe part of it too is like frankly i feel like the bar is very low for crypto journalism in general <laughs> like there's there's maybe five crypto journalists i think of who are like smart and competent at their jobs and obviously you are one of them and so it's like thank god we have laura to actually like cover the industry well because um, other than that would be kind you. of screwed so i'm serious
0: no yeah but i i wouldn't be too hard on journalists like for getting things wrong because the The, I mean, this is like the basic thing about journalism. Like, Mm. like I've had people like my, like my mom, for instance, she was a pharmacist which she's retired and she like couldn't understand what I did because she learned this body of knowledge and then she like applies it every day. Right. And like my job is I'm supposed to take things I don't necessarily know and learn them fast and like learn them well enough to explain them to other people. And it's a skill. It's like not like having the knowledge. It's a skill. So it's more about like being able to learn quickly and then being able to like explain things well. Yeah. In that regard, like, I don't feel like I'm a crypto person. Anyway, whatever. Like you get what I'm saying. Like, like you guys have the knowledge. Like, I don't think of myself as a crypto person. Like I can learn things and whatever, but like, I'm not in there doing it. Like, yeah, people often come to me and it's weird. Like sometimes people act like, like they think that I know like everything in crypto and I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm like behind all my sources. My sources are the people who really know what's going on in life to like do my best to like eke it all out of them. But like, you know, I basically harass them a lot to like get that information. But I don't, you know, like if if you were to ask me right now to do something in DeFi or like on Ethereum or whatever, it would take me like, I don't know, like five hours. Like I would be like, like, people would lose all respect for me. They would be like, oh, (laughs) we thought she knew what she was doing in crypto, but clearly she doesn't. Because I, you know, i I spend all my time like creating content. I don't spend all my time like actually using this stuff, whatever. Mm-hmm. I like call people up and I want them to tell me things. So it's just different. yeah, you would
2: you would also be surprised at how many professional investors in this industry have all yeah, ne- themselves never used crypto,
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that actually doesn't surprise me because <laughs> I actually think. Journalism and VC are like not that different.
2: Yeah. It is true that a lot of the yeah. early TechCrunch writers became like venture. I mean, exactly. It was I mean. like very Maybe. like soon after. Yeah. You
0: know? But TechCrunch is like, I think, especially chummy with the industry it covers in a way that like the Wall Street Journal is not, you know, like right. TechCrunch is like a kind of a different animal than like a other media. Yeah. Mm. But anyway. Okay. But we didn't, we never got to my audit point about the Beanstalk thing. So can we talk about that? Yeah. Oh,
1: let's talk about it.
0: Yeah. Because like, so... You know, somebody tweeted about the Beanstalk thing, like, oh, and they were an auditing company. They were like, this is why we only pay ourselves by the number of vulnerabilities that we identify. So they were saying, like, we get paid by, you know, every time we find a vulnerability when we audit something, we earn money from that. But like, they were saying that other companies just charge by project or whatever. And so there's no incentive for them to like actually find things that went wrong because they're going to make the same amount of money no matter what. So this company was saying like we're Which incentivized. I don't remember if you wasn't it wasn't you got put it CERDIC, in there.
3: it was one of the other ones.
2: Um,
1: was it Peck, Shield? Peck no, Shield. I, I don't think somewhere. I don't think I don't think we linked to it
2: in the uh, okay, I the mean there is yeah. this other problem though that happens because like if you actually look at different audit reports, different auditors will consider different types of things, vulnerabilities, yeah, different like security and it, it, like yeah, there's no like you? standards yeah. for what a just the basics of like what a low, medium, and high vulnerability are every order makes ones that are different and like obviously biased towards the things they are better at. So like, I'm not so, I feel like you're, it's kind of, you're going to have this like good heart law type of thing. Like if you make that the thing, everyone's just going to optimize for like the low vulnerability ones that everyone has by accident, which Uh. are actually gas saving things. But like, and it, it, it'll, it'll have this good heart type of thing of, like, the the metric you use will suddenly get, like...
1: Well, there's never... I mean, that's true no
2: matter what you do, though. So, like, I, yeah. I can
1: believe that it would be better, but um, at the same time, like... I mean, it's a good question of, like, what are you actually buying when you buy an audit? And the reality is that, like, okay, one thing you're buying is, like, okay, if there's an obvious vulnerability, we want you to write it up and explain it to us. But a lot of what you're buying when you're buying an audit is you're buying, like, a stamp of approval
2: yeah. of, like, yeah.
1: basically a trusted third party saying like, you are good and it is safe to use you, right? Okay. Now, the, the, the vulnerability here in Beanstalk, like the core of the vulnerability was really that you did not have to lock up funds in order to vote, yeah. right? That was the core vulnerability. And that allowed a flash loan to go in and participate in this vote, yeah. which is like if you remember, MakerDAO had the scare
3: a long time ago. Yeah, remember
1: who it was who? Like published a B- it was Brandon Curtis? Well,
3: it was B Protocol that did it. Just B-, B Protocol, Protocol did it. Yeah, oh, so is
1: that right? Okay. That vote.
3: Everyone's like, what the fuck? They're like, yeah, yo, know, one thing to go through, and
1: they're like, don't, don't do that. Oh, that's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. And so, so MakerDAO had this big scare that like all of Maker could have been turned off or something. You know, yeah. some horrible thing could have happened. Through a flash loan, and so Maker was the first one to say, "Okay, we're going to make it so that you cannot flash loan governance." Yeah. Um. But this is a very basic vulnerability that Beanstalk could have done to mitigate
3: the whole thing. The other very basic issue is they don't have a delay between when a proposal is passed and when it's actually implemented. So something like Compound, mm. even if a malicious proposal goes through, there's a forty-eight hour delay between like, before it actually goes live, and yeah. same with like 0x and most other protocols. So it's well,
2: like... they did have a time lock. The problem is their time lock had like some sort of like. The two proposal thing actually messed up their time lock execution. <laughs> oh, order,
1: really? Yeah.
3: God. No, no. Oh, it's wow.
2: it's actually not. So it's a little bit more subtle. Uh, unfortunately, that like the the person who did this did note notice a lot of like kind of
3: nuance about the time Wait, lock. I'm curious about that because I know there's like obviously a delay between when a proposal goes live and when it can be voted. But even like you know again for Compound, even if something gets approved like it doesn't actually go live for another 48 hours. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so the problem here is that when you have two proposals that
2: are proposed at roughly the same time, you have this problem where like the time lock only really applies to one if you don't set it up correctly. (laughs) And so a lot of places will just be like, you can only have one proposal live at a time, Mm. or like, Mm -hmm. or they have to be staged in some way. Whereas the Beanstalk thing did not have that. I see.
1: Did they roll their own governance?
2: No, everyone just modifies compound. Like pretty much, okay. but they didn't include those parts. Yeah.
0: So, in general, after these DeFi hacks, how do they get, like, how do they turn it into real money? Do they, and because, like, a lot, well, we've seen that a lot of like exchanges or whatever will kind of blacklist the addresses, but oh. like, are people actually getting money out of it?
3: Oh, yeah. It, it depends. Sometimes it is very hard to liquidate. Um, Like, you know, if you have a stable coin and there, you can't get across the bridge, but in this scenario, I mean, they just put a bunch of ETH and like Tornado Cash and then. depending on the size of the anonymity pool for the asset also that you're hacking you may or may not be able to anonymize it effectively but i think for this amount it should be like too difficult depending on how long they wait and how long they are you know it is
2: significantly easier for bitcoin though i will say like oh interesting uh, just like the volume of
3: just like wasabi
0: which now we all know you can demix that so
2: yeah yeah you can demix it with a lot of resources right so the right. question is like is someone willing to pay that much to demix okay. and 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 so for like an 80 million hack it might actually not be like you might not get someone who's wait to hold, to. On,
1: hold on hold on are we actually do we do we all agree that you can just demix wasabi transactions now oh i because i registered i think uh when we originally talked about this i was like i'm skeptical of this
0: yeah that reminds me I know. We'll discuss we'll discuss this another time. Oh, there is, wait, what? Because there's a video. I will somehow have to find this in my Twitter mentions that I did mean to watch, where someone like made some video where they analyzed kind of like what happened with the DAO hacker and like what happened with that demixing. Mm-hmm. And it was like a Twitter handle where I was like, oh, this person would definitely know. And I meant to watch it. And I never got to watch it. So, so let me do that. Okay. I've had like such a whirlwind two months or whatever so
2: to be continued yeah,
0: yeah. but at least you know right. there's that some
2: partial information that's
1: right, right. If, if you if, you, if you messed like, up if you messed yeah. up kind of post mixing like okay, yeah i can totally understand that there
2: i just know, think the just, bitcoin mixing yeah. services have way more liquidity and and also the tornado withdrawal sizes are like this they don't 30. have enough yeah they don't but have this enough do as- like 10 mil a day um, yeah, yeah, basically. yeah. yeah. I, I'm, that's what I'm saying. I agree that 80 mil could get out, but yeah. like if it was bi- like the Ronin Indian hacker would be like something you can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, didn't yeah. they just like mass sell on
1: curve and just turn yes. out bean into yeah. into USD? Yeah. So then, how go. much do they get? 80 million.
0: Wow. Okay, because okay, so then that answers my question because the question I was going to ask is like I thought that a lot of these people couldn't even cash out. Because, I mean, you know,
1: cashing like, turning it into a different asset is one thing. Cashing out is another thing. Yeah. It,
2: yeah. Do you mean, like, getting into dollars in a bank account?
0: Well, just getting away with something where they can actually make money from it, what, however I mean, we're I defining I you get that.
3: clean ETH, like, you know, you can sell it and report it as income. I think the IRS is very explicit that, like, they you don't care if you're committing crimes as long as you, like, declare income and pay <laughs> taxes on it. Um, oh, yeah, so, my God. Yeah. No, a yeah. whole thing. So and, you like, think these the hackers the are... Yeah.
0: paying money on their hacks
3: you could use like a other I mean, other income i mean if they don't want to get caught by the irs they should be paying taxes.
1: that's how they got al capone right yeah. yeah wow yeah it's, it, it's fine to do crime as long as you pay your taxes okay, otherwise, okay. Otherwise, uh,
3: well
0: but the reason i was asking know. was because i was wondering you know some of these bounties are like somewhat generous i mean so one of the i don't remember which one it was but one of them was like roughly two million or something and i was like Oh well, if they can't really cash out, then like it's better if they. Oh, so they take can. The $2 yeah, million. They
3: can. They can cash out more than okay. two
1: million. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Clearly now. In
3: stock. Try to renegotiate, and I said, hey, you know, send us back seventy. You can keep eight for yourself, and uh, we won't like go after you. We won't like after you. Like it'll be done, and
0: right. That's right. Was... So
3: yeah, that yeah.
1: doesn't sound like it would work. That
0: doesn't okay. sound like it
2: would work. I, I do think it's still a little hard to like sell all of it at once. Not at once you, you know, know you, i feel like usually what people do is they really use collateral and then they start just like collecting you know kind of like earning spread and via perps and things like, like 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 bybit used to be kind of the exchange that hacks the hackers all go to cuz they never well, did KYC. Now, yeah, yeah, kyc yeah they used now. to just never kyc right, right, right
1: i mean there's still a few non kyc exchanges but they don't they don't most of them don't do that much there's just no volume yeah, yeah you can't no really anymore.
2: get out there yeah so also right. most ba- a lot of banks won't like ach to won't wire to them and stuff so it's right. like you you kind of are... yeah i mean i have to assume most of these attackers are not american anyway so right. but they still may want to wire to a real bank account eventually yes right yes because like I, I we're not in the world where everyone's using stable coins yet for everything
1: so. yeah yeah uh yeah at that size it becomes it becomes difficult but look if you're, you're north korea then if you're north korea it's fine, well, right? Yeah.
0: Obviously, if you're North Korea, then yeah, you're not going to you're not going to pursue a bug bounty.
1: You're probably not. Probably not. OK, the last piece of news um, that I want to discuss was so a lot of what I, I was I feel like I was getting on Twitter and a lot of chatter from people was about the merge being delayed. And um, I feel like this is like the biggest non-story of all the stories this week that like somehow everybody was talking about this. And I was like, how on earth did you think that like the Ethereum Foundation was going to hit this deadline? Of all the deadlines they've missed in their entire lifetime, like clearly they're awful at software estimation and we should just like bake that in to the numbers that goes. But somehow like nobody was doing that.
0: It's it's probably because there's been so many delays that like it just feels like at some point it's going to happen. And so, yeah, when people were saying June and they were saying it for kind of a long time, but you're right. I had Tim Bago on my show last.
1: I listened. I listened to it. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was like, again, like very non answer of like, oh, we're not good at estimating. I'm like, yeah, we know. We know you're not good at estimating. But
0: I can't remember if this was in the recording or not, if he just said it before, but he was just like, I'm surprised that people are all up in arms about this because he was like, I kind of offhandedly said June and, you know, it wasn't like a fixed thing, but everybody had it like as a fixed
1: deadline. I mean, it's it's exactly the problem with the Ethereum Foundation that they're like, well, we just say things. Why would anyone care what we say? (laughs) Like we're just well,
2: a well, bunch of data. I, I also, I also, I also, I also uh, think a good if someone wants a little data science project to docs a lot of the development correlate the commit times to the hackathons. hackathons and and you'll see this like it looks like a heartbeat. It's like that's why they have to have a hackathon every month because otherwise nothing oh, like really I'm nothing. Totally gets gonna done. check that out. Yeah, I, I, there's like a lot of weird correlation with the hackathons. But one other one thing I would say is like i think that the longer that's delayed the weirder or worse it is for ETH security because like the sheer dominance of staking derivatives at this point and the percentage of the network that's like sitting waiting for like in the one-way contract just like uh and having like staked ETH being levered kind of just like means that there's just going to be this huge amount of sell pressure as soon as the network goes live because there are all these people who've locked up capital for LES. Sure, they're earning some interest on their stake fees somewhere, but it's not like a lot. And there's just an enormous amount of capital locked up that's just waiting for it to come out on the other side. And like all those people have to sell at some point, right? Like, especially if they're funds, they're going to get like capital calls, etc. right? I, I don't know how many funds yeah, are going to return but, stake fees. Like, but we, we there, there's some I, 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 delay I disagree mechanism. with that.
1: Though. Yeah, I, mean, I disagree with that because we don't know how much is going to come in the other way. Right, like Once the opportunity cost of staking goes way down because of the fact that you can actually go two-way, I think you'll see a lot of capital is like, look, I'm not going to risk going into Proof-of-Stake when like I don't know that Proof-of-Stake will ever actually be that two-way street. And even when the Proof-of-Stake merge happens, it's what, like another upgrade until people can actually withdraw?
2: But but I just mean the people who are going into Lido, there are people raising funds that literally are just taking like 5% fees just to put you into Lido. Like Wait, what? What? Yeah, they're it's the same as these people raising funds funds to go into Anchor. So there's, I, there are these people who are raising funds where they're basically charging people 5% to take Stablecoin, to take dollars, and they convert to UST, and then they put it into Anchor, get 20%. Oh, yeah. I mean, you back a that. yeah. yeah. Huh. There's a ton of people doing the same exact thing for Lido, and they're all doing the levered Lido. So hmm. to give some context, if you have a bunch of ETH, you want to lock it into the bridge contract so you're validating the beacon chain, you can earn interest on your Ethereum, but you can't really get it out. So you've locked it up and you're earning interest, but you can't actually remove it. Staking derivatives allow you to pool ETH with other people's ETH. And then there'll be validators that go earn that yield. And then there's sort of this IOU called staked ETH that you get. And staked ETH is extremely liquid and in every DeFi protocol. So you could effectively treat it like ETH. And it stays pegged. Actually, weirdly stays pegged. Because theoretically, it it should actually be worth more. But everyone is discounting exactly by the rewards, which is like a very funny fact. It's sort of like a weird, weird anomaly in some ways. Like other staking derivatives don't have this property, and so people have the staked ETH, but it's all an IOU for the real ETH, right? And they can't actually get back their real ETH. And if people are raising these funds, where they're like, "Hey, we'll earn, we'll we'll go do the whole like staking thing for you," and and it's like some institution that like bought a bunch of ETH, and they're like, "We'll you know we'll we'll take five percent, you get like the remaining." those funds eventually have to close out right mm-hmm. they have and they're not either they're going to return stake teeth to the that if that happens then everyone who gets the stake teeth is going to just sell for really eventually yeah. right yeah. so like there's some some there's some kind of the longer this takes the more the crazy levered behavior we're seeing we're seeing people
3: like lever up on stake teeth like crazy yeah actually like babylon finance really something this week where i mean this is your whole thing around Basically, automate the the strategy of putting on stake ETH, borrowing ETH, turning into stake ETH, putting it back, and just like levering up. And you know, they're estimating like eight ten percent using this strategy. But the question is, just like when do we see ETH interest rates go up to sort of compensate and like exactly, exactly yeah, pull on the market? And this whole ultrasound money thing only works when this type of levered
2: game is not happening. And, yeah, like yeah. that is going. Everyone wants anchor yields, like. Doe has basically made it so that everyone has to be chasing twenty percent, and like everyone in land thinks that's not true. But when you look at what's happening with Staked East, It's like, oh yeah, everyone is
3: literally just trying to chase Doe. Yeah, this is this is why the Fed's hiking rates. They're like, we gotta we gotta match Anchor right now. It's <laughs> competitive out there. I, I I just yeah I just wanted to
2: point that out. There's like something weird on the financial side that I feel like the developers don't seem to give a shit about because everyone in East, every ETH developer I talk to is like staking derivatives are dumb. Like, they'll never survive. And it's like, well, actually, there's such a huge portion of ETH in there now that it's a little bit not true. That's fair. Wait, That's fair.
0: so I know this is like a slight detour and we don't have to address it right now, but I am curious what you think of the whole Anchor thing because, like, I had uh, Kevin Zhou on my podcast. And oh, from, Galwa. He, from Galwa. I, I, I love
2: I love that clip you, you had. The Twitter clip of his thing was excellent for Anchor.
0: Yeah, I mean, because, like, he thinks it's not going to you know, it's not going to pan out and it's definitely, you know, just going to go South at some point. Um, so I was just curious, like what you guys thought, because like, yeah, just if you follow that whole thing on Twitter, like there's very polarized views on either side. Yes.
1: Yes. Well, first caveat, we're investors in anchor. So we, we invested in early round. What's their what's our view? I don't know. I, I guess I'd say that like, I mean, so anchor did modify the protocol so that the interest rate can actually move over time. So it can now adjust compared to what it was before, which is like this flat 20%. Um, but it, it's over a much, I think it's like once a month, it can, yeah, uh, it can calibrate by like yeah. a percent and a half or something like that. So it can't actually respond that quickly or in real time, I guess it's like closer to the Fed, I guess, and then mm. kind of very staggered moves. You know, by and large, I think the, the biggest risk is not actually to anchor itself, but more to Terra, although they're both yeah. obviously very interlinked. Yeah. At the end of the day, like all these algorithmic stablecoins have to get exogenous usage. Otherwise it just doesn't work. And so the question, I mean, Kevin was sort of pointing, like, look, there's no exogenous usage for this right. stuff, which is like, okay, I, I mean, I mostly agree. So the answer is that they got to get exogenous usage, otherwise the thing's going to break.
2: I, I think another interesting thing that scares me more about it, and this is not necessarily a knock on UST, this is more a knock on the type of people who are putting ridiculous amounts of money into Anchor, is like, a lot of the dumber, TradFi people that I, I've, I know... Uh, who are like don't probably couldn't tell you what a hash function is. They don't know an address is. They're the ones who are really aping into this stuff and putting in like a hundred million dollars into like um like these anchor funds. And they're they don't, they don't know anything about crypto. They're just like someone told them 20% on cash. Wow. And they're just oh my like God. and so that scares me because I'm like, wow, that these people me. that that uh. that it's like it's like the psychology <laughs> people who don't even know what they're investing in is yes. always like the that to me is like feels very like Big
3: short. You yeah. yeah. Something <laughs> yeah. about that's like scary. <laughs> Going back to the crypto journalism stuff we were talking about earlier, there were like two um, profiles on Doe out this week and, and Luna specifically, I think there was like one in Bloomberg and like one in the journal. And I just feel like it's, it's a testament to like crypto journalism, like, like where have you been for the past year? Like, you know, this has been a thing for the past year, like the Luna UST rise. And it's like, oh, now that it's at, you know, whatever, $10 billion or whatever, it's like Oh, what's going on with like Luna? What's going on with like Anchor? I'm like, what? Like, it's like, <laughs> um, yeah, just very. Okay, and anyway, there was, was a lot of concern and yeah about the whole Anchor UST situation. Yeah, I will but, say, but
0: I just have to say, like, that's the nature of our job. Is like, news has to happen, and then we like write about it. So it's like always like after the fact. But anyway,
2: keep I, going. I think the one thing I do really appreciate, I think long term for UST if, from a developer standpoint, if they can get to it, is actually building good smart contracts on cosmos that can interact with all the other cosmos chains. Mm-hmm. And like, if they do that, I think the usage will, will come. I, I actually am more bullish on the cosmos, like app chain world for certain types of applications.
1: I mean, the problem is that USD supply is so big. They have to, I mean, right. Well, the USD supply is big because
2: they are these random, like private equity, like unwinding
1: that dollars, is going to be an absolute yes, nightmare. Right. So be. like they have to, I mean, it's kind of like they're, they're at that size now. Mm-hmm kind of like when you grow your government too big, you have to like find some use for them. Otherwise it's gonna be extremely painful to get rid of people. And the I mean, same thing for companies, right? But like governments is the most obvious example because they tend to, they tend to get bloated and then not like, you, you, It's, yeah, not it's contract. like a one way ratchet. Exactly, exactly. And the problem with UST is, is kind of similar. It's very difficult to drain UST and say, okay, this thing got a little out of hand. Let's like kind of wind things down a little bit. And like, it's so sensitive to deleveraging that it's just very hard to do it the answer has to be you have to find the growth to justify your current supply
3: yeah they need they need to do qt you know they need to start start winding it down uh
1: yeah and that's probably well so i i i didn't know that much about these tech funds and these
2: uh anchor yeah no there's just crazy. people marketing these like vehicles but that's, they're that's like oh that's you're that's very, like, that's you, very you scary, can't get 15 percent on anywhere else in your dollars you just give us dollars yeah, we're only no, putting in dollars that's ridiculous yeah
0: no that is scary
1: and it's funny because like so many of the pitches that we get are like oh you can use anchor to like bank the unbanked you can go start a neobank and like you know, Africa or in Indonesia or whatever, and you can give them 20% interest. It'll be so great. Everybody will sign up for this. And like the story from Anchor from the beginning has been like, anybody can go get interest on, get yield on stables. And that's I mean, the made.
2: difference between the outcomes, I think, for Terra and Cello are that, you know, Cello tried to go for the banking the unbanked narrative. And I mean, they're Tara converging now. Terra went for the now. like, you the know, people with money, people with money yeah. thing. And it,
3: it like clearly, it, you know, that, that did have a it's, cycle. I mean, it's funny because I mean, they were like, so many of these like crypto backed neobanks out there that are basically trying to do this right? Hey, give us dollars. You we'll, we'll put in a compound or Ave or something else, like not necessarily anchor yeah. specifically. And they've had a lot of trouble growing and, and people have sort of thoughts as to you know why that is like, are they not spending enough on acquisition or whatever? But One of the theses and sort of what I've heard from some of these companies is like, it's really hard to advertise. We'll give you 8% on your dollars. Like don't ask questions. And people think it's inherently a scam. So it's very funny to me that like at least anecdotally from them, retail is like very (laughs) skeptical of the 8% yield. Institutions are like, sign me up. That sounds great. I'm sure there's not a bell curve
2: meme. I (laughs) think that's what you need for this. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Middle of the bell curve is where you die. It's unfortunate. Yeah. Um, But
0: so I don't know if this is like taking us too far off topic. And also, I didn't know what the time is, but um, I feel like just to go back to your Cosmos comment, I feel like I hear a lot of chatter about Cosmos, but not about Polkadot. And I just wondered is for that... a reason. Yeah. So <laughs> for... what, yeah, explain that to me. Do you want to explain?
2: I don't know if there's like a, a pretty strong reason other than like Cosmos was able to bootstrap a lot of liquidity and like it's just easier to boot to get started writing Cosmos app chains. Um, oh. And once Osmosis became kind of like the connector. So the Cosmos model, I would say the initial weak part, in my opinion, um, you know, obviously Extreme Cosmos fans will probably maybe disagree is that the, the Adam coin has pretty much no usage. There's no reason to actually go to the hub, which is like the, the, the main place that Adam is staked. And instead, it would be much better if you had like something like a Dex. That was sort of like secured a Dex chain that was secured uh, because then everyone has to go through there and it, it kind of like have, can kind of have this like, you know, virtuous cycle. And so Osmosis did that, and that kind of bootstrapped everything in Cosmos because everyone in Cosmosland was running their own app chains. Like no one was using IBC. But then you, the killer app for IBC was really DEXs and like being able to go between these chains and like have liquidity on, on different chains. And I think the UX on Cosmos chains, the wallets are really, really magnificent. I think like probably the best acquisition in crypto in the last two years was the Osmosis team buying Kepler. Which is the main wallet and is probably the best wallet in crypto.
1: There's about better to be... than Phantom,
2: better than MetaMask, better. It's it is the best UX. Period.
0: Wow, I want to try
2: it.
1: You should try it. Yeah, there's about to be a new record for best acquisition, but well, <laughs> that that news will probably come out soon.
2: Well, I I, I still I think that the price that the Osmos that that was the best acquisition. Like like Spicy. they literally made the whole ecosystem. It went from a billion dollars right. like seventeen billion because of that wallet. Yeah, yeah, and, then, and they and paid what? a very tiny amount relatively. Right.
1: And
0: then what about Polkadot?
1: So I think the the thing no, about Polkadot,
2: polka I, I don't
1: think it's about wallets. I, 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 I think it's, the, it's a, a more fundamental things. strategic mistake. Substrate is hard made. to use. There, so there's a bunch of stuff about the actual tech stack and also about kind of how top down uh, Polkadot has always felt relative to Cosmos, which has always been kind of more bottoms up. Cosmos oh, it's also much older. I still also caveat, we're early investors in Cosmos as well. But um, the big thing that I think Polkadot messed up is the parachain model and the parachain auctions. Right. So like Polkadot decided that in order to use Polkadot, you, instead of like on Cosmos where you just, you kind of, you know, it, it's, it's much more open-ended and you kind of, you know, you, you find your place in the Cosmos ecosystem and you carve out your own niche. The idea for Polkadot is like, Hey, if you want to use Polkadot, you need to sign up for this auction and you need to pay a bunch of money or like, you know, stake a bunch of assets yeah, and, compete. and compete in this like big pageant of, you know, who's going to win the next auction. Like, Oh, it's going to be this guy or that right. guy. And so projects have to raise a crap load of money um, to pay it to Polkadot debt, and yeah. wait or raise debt and wait a very, very long time until they get actually integrated and win the, the, the auction. Now, if you're an entrepreneur, and you're like, okay, I could go to any chain. I can build anywhere because I'm an awesome entrepreneur and I'm in very low supply because there aren't a lot of great entrepreneurs. Right. So you say, okay, well, I could go to Solana where they'll pay me a lot of money. I could go to Avalanche where they'll pay me a lot of money. I could go to Polygon where they'll pay me a lot of money. Um, I could go to Cosmos where I could like build bottoms up and like do whatever. Or I could go to Polkadot and pay them a lot of money.
0: right.
1: Wait, what why are you asking people to pay you money when like everyone else is understands the transaction goes the other way? You need to attract developers, not charge developers. Yeah. And polka dot like just has well, in order to be sustainable, we gotta charge people, otherwise, what's the point of dot? Yeah, yeah. but I mean,
3: it's great for Dot, bad for polka dot, and Cosmos is like great for Cosmos, but terrible for Ad- Ad- <laughs> Adam. <laughs> Adam is Dogecoin. Of, of layer uh, yeah it's, I, it's, I honestly like it, it it truly doesn't really
2: have much of a purpose they've yeah, tried to 17. make they basically try to copy osmosis build the decks mm. build a bridge all this stuff
3: but like none of the they just kind of missed out on liquidity i'm, I'm curious actually to get your, your thoughts on I know there's like a new cosmos proposal right now to basically like allow people to use existing cosmos validators so like sort of bootstrap their own like validator set which is sort of more polka dot like like what do you think of that
2: I think the liquid staking is effectively the easiest way to do that. And like, that's why I think you're seeing a lot of these chains have these staking derivatives where basically like I can pay validators validating another chain in this other chain's Mm -hmm. coin, which is basically a version of the Polkadot crowd loan, except because there's so much liquidity on Cosmos, it's like actually easier to bootstrap because it basically will feel like WIDO to the end user. But I actually think the co- the polka dot crowd loan model is actually very elegant. The problem is, it's like impossible to bootstrap for the re- this reason. Like, who wants to pay to use it? To start and like, yeah. they have this thing called, called a crowd loan where basically you pay some portion of your tokens apply up front and then people basically fund your Wii U with dots. But then again, the dot holder base is not that diversified. So you don't really, it's like, I think if there were like more dot holders who were like not super close to the original team like there you might see more you might have seen more crowd loans
0: no but the flaws that you're describing now that i know more about gavin from writing my book Mm. uh they sort of make sense to me actually what do you
3: mean i was i was gonna say you're the gavin expert here so you should be telling us about Polkadot.
0: well but from your read of the book like do you agree that it sort of makes sense for his personality totally yeah yeah it's like kind
3: of megalomaniac style like (laughs) everything has to go through me yeah like gavin Yeah. yeah I think that was yeah it was so this is the cryptopians yeah it was pretty interesting i think there's like always these like cult of personalities around early crypto people or crypto people in general like i know a lot of people cite their investment thesis for polka dot being oh well gavin what is the cto of ethereum i'm like yeah but like what what do you know about gavin beyond what about, CTO, what about what about charles hoskinson ceo
0: guys today oh my. i was at the dentist and when he found out what i did he engaged me in this kind of long conversation about crypto and at a certain point, he was like, Well, what about Cardano, as he called it? And I was like, Oh my God. And then I said to him, I was like, You should read my book. I was <laughs> like, If you're interested in this, you should read my book. But no, I mean, Sounds yeah. like the
1: worst dentist appointment ever. <laughs> if my dentist
2: you started know, talking about honestly, Cardano, you know, I would knock on that. This is at the end. Dentists are exactly the demographic that Cardano targets. Oh, 100%. Is
1: targeted. 100%. The average user of
2: Cardano is a dentist. No, no, that, average, owner. average owner, user, sorry, sorry user. Yeah,
1: <laughs> it, yes. it, it's getting some stuff. It's, it it, it, stuff it, it is, it Cardano is, now. it
2: is the the thing that Nomad is bridging to. They they have an EVM chain which is generating almost all the transactions. That's oh like hilarious. wow, it's like, so good. It's like none of the Cardano native apps are running. Yeah, yeah. wow, that's yeah.
0: hilarious. Gavin yeah, yeah, does have like... a lot
1: in common with Dom from Definity. I feel like it's very similar. Oh, yes. oh my god, god that is
0: such a good call! I never thought of that. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, that's the thing. It's like everything in crypto that works has been very grassroots, right? right. Well, I, I should, I, no, that's not true. That's not true. Uh, not everything. Most things in crypto. Well, that Bitcoin, Ethereum. Grassroots. Yeah.
2: Solana yeah. probably is the biggest exception. Solana, I think Avalanche is also yeah, you know, less Avalanche. grassroots.
1: I think uh, Terra, obviously. Terra is like the least yes. grassroots.
0: Yeah, but I consider all of those like new and not established. Solana, Avalanche, Terra. Like- sure. But I
1: think Cosmos, I mean, Cosmos, I think, is very grassroots. I guess there are different approaches, right? So maybe that was a bad comment because I think we've seen success in both both different.
3: Yeah, I think it markets. is very more bizarre and less, much less cathedral. Like anytime anyone comes in with like their, their master plan of like how to solve crypto, it's like, this is not going to work. Like, did we, what probably... did we say about stablecoin yeah, know, inventors?
2: It's
1: <laughs> very related to that discussion last time. Okay, well, I think we're over time. So we're going to, have to wrap for today. Um, so thank you, Laura, for yes, joining us today nice. as a very special guest. This was I hope I did a
0: good stand-in of Robert.
1: You were very Robert-like. Right. You, were, you were almost as good as, as the Robert himself. I didn't
0: say GM, GM.
1: You did. You did. Well, I, you just you you, did. You, <laughs> you, did, you, did you did bring At a lot 10. of DeFi daddy energy today. Or okay. no, what was it? Lending Lady daddy? daddy. Yeah. Lending yeah. daddy. You okay. did bring a lot of lending good. daddy energy. Good. So I appreciate it. Happy to that. do it. All right. Well, that's it for today. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, I think next time we'll be back in the metaverse. So, oh.
3: Yes, we will. That's it. Cool. All, right. All right. Thanks, everyone.